IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we talk about new albums by My Morning Jacket and Parquet Courts. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, the owner of the Dachshund who mauled Travis singer Fran Healy, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? You know, I, I guess that your belated wedding gift to me is giving something that allows me to not talk about my wedding right off the bat. I, I want to talk about Travis's Fran Healy getting mauled by a dachshund. Yeah, this is like already an old story. This is like the big story that we missed <laughs> because you were on your honeymoon last week. If, if, yeah. if we had recorded like a normal episode last week, I think we would have talked about it in our previous episode. I think by and large, we avoided like any big indie rock emergencies like that was really the only story that Did I, I miss any no i think i think <laughs> really the travis story about fran healy apparently he was mauled by a dachshund and someone on uh you know uh indycast twitter informed me that like dachshunds apparently are pretty vicious so huh. this isn't something we should take lightly but, uh, yeah, this was like, that was really the only big story that we missed because of your honeymoon. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I guess I took some, I, I guess I get. I, I picked a very good time to go off because, you know, like that was the one thing that was sticking in my mind throughout the past week. It's like, I just hope that no trends have been hashed without my presence. Yeah. Um, what, if, what, if, what if I return to terra firma and all of a sudden... All the trends have been hashed out. There's no more trends to hash. Well, you know, it's funny because this week we're recording a few days earlier than we normally would because now it's my turn to take a little (laughs) vacation. I'm taking a family vacation. I'm taking my family. We're hopping in the minivan. We're going to the Badlands in South Dakota. Going to see Mount Rushmore. Going to do a very traditional Midwestern family vacation (laughs) in October. So... We might miss a couple of events this week. Um, I mean, one thing I'm curious about, apparently there's like a Lana Del Rey record that would... There totally is. I mean, Blue Bannisters, it's supposed to come out on Friday, but like it's been radio silence in terms of any singles or any, you know, discourse coming out from Lana Del Rey. I mean, she had a lot to say before the Chemtrails Over the Country Club album cycle, which... I think that was in March. Like that was this year. She put out a record. That was indeed this year. And I I do think it's appropriate and also funny and very relevant to your interest that both a guided by voices album and a Lana Del Rey album are coming out uh, on Friday. That's true. And they see, and they seem to be like kind of generating the similar amount of interest from you. (laughs) It's true. The, the, the guided by voices, uh, buzz is equal to the Lana Del Rey buzz. Although I don't, maybe we're just missing the Lana Del Rey. I mean, I, I honestly have no idea what's going on with blue banisters. (laughs) If that is actually coming out. I mean, I mean, if it is, it's going to almost be like a surprise release, even though we, we're told it was coming out this week. So I, I, I really have no idea what's going on with that record. Um, we should ask, I mean, we should do a, a, a bit of a honeymoon recap, though, here. I mean, like, we, 
I know maybe you don't want to get into this. I feel like we should talk about that a little bit here. I, I just I just really hope that like, you know, the family trip, the marriage, like our our, our married guy energy isn't going to alienate uh, the indie cast listener. Or maybe it's gonna bring them closer. I don't know. I know that a lot of times when bands, you know, make their uh, married slash happy album, that's when uh, people start to lose interest. But I don't know. Maybe this is playing right into right into our audience's interest. I think so. I mean, I know that there was some conversation out there in IndieCast Nation about your wedding playlist. People were curious oh, about yeah. that. I think people out there they're hoping that you make this public. I don't know. Like, did you make a like a like a wedding reception playlist, or did you have a DJ? Was there like a cover band playing like Jimmy World songs during the reception? I wanted to do it, uh, Tom. It was one of the guys in Blink One Eight Two. I believe it was like Tom DeLonge who had actually had Jimmy Eat World play his wedding in two thousand. That was kind of like Jimmy Eat World's big uh, boost prior to Bleed American. But I, I don't know if I should be like honored or kind of depressed at how a lot how people like honestly believe that I had to be like completely on brand during my wedding and play like turnstile and foxing. And yes, I did make a wedding playlist. It was almost, no, it was not almost exclusive. It was exclusively, uh, up tempo nineties R and B songs. <laughs> um, you know, ones that like didn't have any real cursing in it because you know, there's like uh parents, right. and Youngins there, but you know, towards the end, as we got into like, hour two and a half to three we got a little more into like 80s stuff like oh you know like daz band and uh, a little earth wind and fire so oh, man. yeah it, so very wedding yeah, very it, wedding you're playing earth wind and fire there's no like emo there's no dip set and, so no. <laughs> none of the like expected ian cohen favorites being dropped at the at the wedding reception I, I i will say this though that during the actual like procession like the ceremony uh, part of it, there was an American football song played, Stay Home. There was a Sigur Ross song. Mm. Um, there was a Slow Dive song played. Like, all the cinematic, slow uh, music that wouldn't necessarily call itself out as, oh, this is, like, an emo guy. More that, like, this is, you know, someone who is, like, 40 years old and has a lifetime in indie rock. And then there was, like, the cocktail hours sort of dinner playlist which was by and large indie rock from like 2008 to 2011 you know a fleet foxes song here and there maybe some iron and wine destroyer camera obscura um yeah it, it, it was really funny because uh when we were playing that uh during you know dinner time slash cocktail hour slash mingling hour uh people assumed it was my wife's playlist but it yes it was partially hers but it was a lot like all the Nico K songs, stuff that I had on playlist in two thousand nine. So that was that that was the plan. I think it worked out great. Maybe one day, maybe that's what we'll do for like paid subscribers. We'll like we'll make the uh, playlist public. Yeah, I think so. I, one thing that we should mention here too, for those who don't follow us on Twitter, which you can. At, oh come on, at Indycast One. I mean. I, I mean well, we have more listeners than we have Twitter followers, which is a crime. Okay. It should be more equal than 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 what it is. <laughs> but um, Christian from one of your favorite bands, The Hotel Year, when he yes. found out that you were getting married, he tweeted at us saying that like, oh, you should have hired The Hotel Year as your wedding band. Is there some regret on your be- on your part that you didn't put out the feelers 
ahead of your ceremony that like maybe you could have had a hotel year because I mean they're not broken up necessarily, but this would have been a no. Rare... They're playing in December. Okay, but this would have been a rare show for them to play your wedding. Yes. No. I mean, like, look, man. I, I if I. I imagine if I did have the hotel year come out to San Diego, it would be probably similar to like if they were to play a San Diego show anyway, where it's like, hey, can anyone like let us crash at our house? So it's like, I mean, but we were, you know, out at our hotel on our way to Big Sur after that. So yeah, maybe the hotel year could have stayed in my house Um, and they would have to take back the audio equipment we read in too. Uh, But no, that's a a big piece of news as well that uh, in December... Counterintuitive Records is having this uh, label showcase. It's not all bands on their label, but it's the Hotel Year, Oso Oso, Origami Angel, Roswell Kid. Wow. Is pl- yeah, like Roswell Kid. Like, I did not know that they were all an IndyCast favorite, I'm assuming. Uh, and yeah, like they're playing too. They're, it, it's, you could have gotten I mean, all these it, bands at your wedding. I, 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 I have a good <laughs> feeling this could have been like. You know, there's Fest in Florida. Forget all that. Yeah. Ian Cohen anniversary <laughs> of the wedding. That could have been the new like emo rock fest. I think I'd I think imagine that they'd rather go to San Diego than Gainesville, Florida. With all due respect. Exactly. Yeah. No. Dis- well, can we? Yeah. Can, can we disrespect Gainesville, Florida? I we mean, can. A- I'm a Georgia football fan. We can absolutely disrespect Gainesville, Florida. I wonder, I wonder how many listeners we have in Gainesville. Gainesville, Florida. If you're listening, send us some emails. We want to hear from you. Uh, yeah. I don't want to disrespect Gainesville in case we have a bunch. I mean, like you know, Tom Petty. That's like where Tom Petty's from. There's like hot water music. Yeah. Like the the epitome of like beat down like beat down post hardcore yeah like if you if you look at like all their pictures they're fantastic steven stills like i think is from gainesville florida so you got you got the classic rock emo uh you know vortex in gainesville yeah so we don't want to disrespect them too much but yeah you know come to ian fest in san diego i mean <laughs> that, that could be a new tradition for the wedding anniversary so yeah so so yeah, so we missed the Travis Healy being mauled by a Dachshund story. I th- Hold on, is that how it's pronounced, Dachshund? I don't know. Like, what's what's the alternate? I'm a Dachshund. I, is it Dachshund? I, it's. I think it's Dachshund. Right. Like, we need to like get. I'm terrible. Get our, I'm terrible at pronouncing things. So like, I'm gonna defer to you on that. I mean, we could just say sausage dog. I think that would yeah. be wiener dog. Yeah, a wiener dog. <laughs> I kind of sure. like sausage dog. Personally, never heard that. You never heard sausage dog. Only heard wiener dog. <laughs> never heard sausage. Well, dog. wiener is a sausage. I mean, either way, I think would work. Uh, but I said dachshund. You said dachshund. Yeah. Okay. You know, again, I'm, I'm <laughs> terrible at pronouncing things. So just wait till we have to pronounce the name of the guy who produced the new Parquet Courts album. Like, I actually looked online on how to do that before I got here. See, yeah, I wasn't even gonna go there because again, <laughs> I'm so just put off by having to pronounce. The names of dogs or indie rock producers. I, so, yes. the, so you're on that. That's why we need like our our interns, our staff of interns. They need to like be like when we do our script for our, you know, our outline every week. They need to be writing yeah. out things phonetically for me, so I can like pronounce the names of dogs and or indie rock producer names correctly. Mm-hmm. So I'm not embarrassing myself in front of our listeners, you know, because I I just don't want our listeners to feel like I'm not qualified to be talking about wiener dogs and or sausage dogs and or indie rock producer names. 
Yeah. And I also think you have an interesting way of pronouncing Waxahachie too, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm a mess. <laughs> I'm a mess with pronouncing things. It, it, it's 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 an all around disaster. Um, why don't we get to our mailbag segment here? And uh, thank you all again for writing into our show and uh, giving us uh, so many good emails. Um, if you want to hit us up, we're at indiecastmailbag at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at indiecast1. Uh, and uh, I always like to remind people we always could use some reviews. If you like our show, give us reviews. Five stars, please. Or four stars. But no, yeah. but nothing below four stars. We got room for growth. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Constructive criticism is always nice. No cheap shots. I mean, you know, I, well, I guess we should be able to take it though. We we we've administered some cheap shots on this show, mm. have we? Or I, I no, all all we we don't do cheap shots. All of our criticism is like warranted and backed up and footnoted. Like the shit's bulletproof. That's true. That's true. So yeah, if you're gonna take a shot at us, make sure that you've done your homework, support, mm. show your work. Otherwise, give us four to five stars. That's all we ask for. Do you want to read this uh, email? Yeah, sure. This one comes to us from Austin in Toronto. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, I, I just think of Austin in Toronto. I'm thinking of uh, the uh, Center for the Maple Leafs, Austin Matthews. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like with it. the phenomenal mustache. He looks like he's a member of Guided by Voices, shout, <laughs> even though he's 24. Or like a member um, of, uh, like, Wolf Parade, probably. If we're talking yeah, about yes, the that's even better. Scene. And uh, shout out to Canada. We haven't had a Canadian in the mailbag in a while, I don't think. I mean, we, Outstanding. We love Canada. On this show. Yes. All right. So a while back, you did a great segment on critics' makeup calls, the bands whose later albums give critics a bit of chance to do a positive do-over. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on bands whose career trajectory or relationship with critical consensus anyway went the opposite direction. Bands who were previously beloved by critics but then put out an album that torpedoed their critical standing so severely that their earlier work suddenly looked suspect too. Can I just say for a second that like our readers now... They they talk like music critics. Like, yeah, they, they got online brain, man. There were to, there were so many music critical terms in there: critical consensus, career trajectory, yeah, career trajectory. I mean, torpedo their critical standing. I love it because like Austin, he's probably just the guy who works in an office, but he's talking like a music critic. Uh, yeah. and maybe we have something to do with that. So I mean, I feel good about that. You're using critical jargon and very casually. You're making it sound organic. <laughs> That's great. Thank you, Austin. Yeah. Yeah. So the band he's talking, of course, and this could go any number of directions, but he's talking about Band of Horses and the critical reception of their 2010 album, Infinite Arms. Reviews of the album seem to suggest that Band of Horses, A, didn't understand what made their music good in the first place, and B, maybe they actually weren't all that good in the first place. Many of the elements critics picked on, the production sheen and embrace of soft rock, dad rock tropes, the jettisoning of old members for hired guns would what would end up being hallmarks of indie rock's cutting edge over the very next year, such as War on Drugs, Destroyer, Bon Iver, etc. So he has realized that both of us have reviewed late career Band of Horses albums, so mm. he's got to ask, do you think their later work was unfairly maligned and deserves a reappraisal? So, okay, and this wasn't included, we didn't uh, read this part of the email, but Part of Austin being inspired to uh, email us about this is that there's a new um, Band of Horses album that's coming out in January. 
and it's called Things Are Great. <laughs> it comes out in January, which is an am- inspired. It's an amazing title, and you pointed this out to me because I emailed this. I, I emailed you about this, and I thought things are great. That's such a funny album title, and you pointed out that their previous album, which came out in 2016, what, what was it called? Why are you okay? Exactly. So it's sort of like they're kind of doing a meta thing with their album titles. It seems like Why Are You Okay is. It's like a response, or like things are great is is a response to that, right? Like there's yeah, six years after the fact, <laughs> like they are definitely assuming that uh, there there are band of horses lifers out there. Yeah, so yeah, there's sort of like a like a meta thing going on with their album titles because like I I already thought that things are great was a very <laughs> funny album title, but then you pointed out the previous. Band of Horses album title, and I thought, like, wow, this is sort of like an ongoing bit that spans more than half a decade for Band of Horses. Um, so anyway, Austin is asking about Infinite Arms, which is the third Band of Horses record. Yes. And it's funny because, okay, so you have Everything All the Time, that's the first one, comes out in 2006. Mm. Then you have Cease to Begin, 2007. And I feel like with Band of Horses, and I feel like you and I are on the same page with this, it's like Band of Horses eras, it's like the first two records are like its own era, and then the albums that come after it are like another era. Yeah. And, but I I feel like whenever I bring up Band of Horses on Twitter, which isn't often, but you know, randomly bring up Band of Horses, there's these infinite arms truthers that come out of the woodwork. <laughs> And Austin is another one of them who are like, what about Infinite Arms? And uh, I'm always like, oh, well, I don't really like that album, but maybe I should check it out. Right? Like, do you do you feel like this is a thing? <laughs> I feel like there's like a movement out there for Infinite Arms. I'm going to post this from the IndieCast account. There's one, one of my favorite Twitter accounts, at Lane Piffin, uh, tweeted one time. He's like a black guy in Philadelphia. He said... And he likes a lot of the same indie rock that I do. It's he said, white excellence may have peaked when Band of Horses made Laredo. <laughs> so that that's the single greatest infinite arms. It's it's not the greatest infinite arms tweet. It might be the greatest tweet of all time. Oh, like man. that's a top fiver. We'll do it from we'll I'll, I'll make sure the public sees it because it's only got twenty six likes as of now. So Oh, that's it's, an amazing. It's really funny. Oh, yeah. We gotta we gotta retweet that one. <laughs> we gotta get that at least over a hundred. That deserves yeah. at least over a hundred likes yeah he did it last year and i just think about it like every five days and just like laugh to myself and you know try to try to explain to other people to no avail um but yeah i think that i i think the 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 truthers for infinite arms and you know mirage rock it reminds me of you know we got a friend our friend of the pod larry fitzmaurice like it's a bit but not really a bit to say that our love to admire is the best Interpol album, which is also their like seriously overproduced major label debut. Um, and, and I also do think that uh, Band of Horses trajectory is pretty similar to the Strokes or Interpol in that Cease to Begin is kind of the more of the same, but in some ways almost better. If I'm feeling su- spicy album, it is the uh, Southern indie rock answer to Room on Fire. Yeah. Um, and the first two albums are on Sub Pop. 
And yeah. then, and then if in arms is on Columbia. So yeah. Yes. Exactly. So it speaks to the Interpol parallel there. Yeah. And so with, with I, 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 I think back to like my experience growing up and like when there'd be these storied indie rock bands, you know, like say the Meat Puppets who uh, the first time I hear them is when they do a major label album, like Too High to Die when Backwater was a big hit. And it's, you know, as critics of our age, like you, we probably think of Infinite Arms as Mirage Rock as like, oh, no one gives a shit about those. But I mean, those albums were like pretty successful. And even if they weren't well reviewed by like, say, you know, Pitchfork or the New York Times, like they were generally well reviewed overall and also weirdly popular in Northern Europe. I've, I've heard that like in Denmark and Belgium, uh, kind of folky Americana is super duper popular. And I think you pointed that out in your interview with Jim James, how uh, the Tennessee Fire did exceedingly well in the Netherlands, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. When I interviewed Jim James, he talked about, the. I think it was, it was like Belgium and Denmark. I can't remember the, the exact countries that he said, but it was something yeah. like that. Yeah, and yeah, Infinite Arms comes out in 2010. That was a top 10 debut for that album. It yeah. debuted at number seven. So that was really their commercial peak. Yes. And it probably was... And the next one, uh, Mirage Rock, I think, was like number 13. Yes, exactly. By the way, I I uh, reviewed Mirage Rock for Pitchfork. Uh, it was probably like my highest profile review for Pitchfork. Because normally I was reviewing like Johnny Marr and like Camper Van Beethoven records. You know, like they were, <laughs> they were putting me like in that outpost for Pitchfork. I didn't really v- review anything important for that for that website, but like Mirage Rock was maybe like one of the biggest reviews I did for them. It ended up getting a 4.0 for, for, for Mirage Rock. So it really got slagged uh, for my review. Um, You know, look, (laughs) everything all the time cease to begin. You know, those records to me are still like the, uh, you know, like the peak band of horses records. And, in terms of like things are great, like they put out this single uh, crutch last week mm. that I was really into because it reminded me of the first two records. It has like the chunkiness of like the first record mm. and like the melodicism of the second record, which I think are like the strengths of those respective albums. Like everything all the time, it just has like that My Morning Jacket meets Built to Spill hybrid quality that, mm-hmm. you know being like in the indie rock zone it just totally hits all the buttons and then cease to begin has i mean i don't know if this is true in terms Twang. of in terms of streaming numbers but like uh um you know that that song that uh, no one's gonna love you classic no one's gonna love you that like CeeLo covered and you know it, it kind of became like a modern standard infinite arms i went back to it because of this email and because people were Again, bringing up Infinite Arms when I was tweeting about the new uh, Band of Horses single. I'm sorry, but it still just sounds <laughs> like bland country rock to me. It seems very flat, very slick. Um, it just doesn't have like the qualities that I love of like my favorite Band of Horses records. And I love those first two records so much. But um, mm-hmm. I don't know. like Infinite Arms, it still doesn't really do it for me. Yeah, I would say that and Mirage Rock like range from 
like forgettable to like actively bad in a way that yeah um yeah like that i wouldn't expect from band of horses i mean i actually went back and listened to them because i because i you know as we've talked about on this show before i turned around on manchester orchestra and when i reviewed the like cope and uh simple math records i didn't really like at the time i thought of them as like maybe best case scenarios for major label band of horses they they kind of sound a little similar but yeah it's it just i i can only imagine like what it must have been like in the columbia office to be handed this and to be like hey your big investment from sub pop they kind of sound like 38 special and poco now <laughs> exactly because they're probably expecting oh they're going to give us another funeral you know they're gonna give us no one's no one's gonna love you. Like, like songs maybe that's like not that. what they really wanted. Maybe like I mean, look, oh, they, you can't. They wouldn't you, have wanted you, the funeral, like a song like that. Like I don't know. To me, that's like, oh, give us more of that. Yeah, because that you can't argue with numbers, man. Like these 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 albums did numbers. Yeah, I just uh, wonder if it was because the first two records were so good, and then they had their moment, and yeah. it just coincided. But but. Clearly, there's the infinite arms people out there, the constituency, yeah. who uh, you know they feel like Laredo is like their highest. You know, it's like the high <laughs> water mark. So like, yeah. you and I could be wrong. I look, I, I like Band of Horses. I'm actually excited for this new album because I like the cautiously single. optimistic. Yeah, yeah, and and again, they're a band that like I, I I want good things for. I like, you know, the albums of theirs that I like. I really really like. And I, I guess I'm still hoping that Infinite Arms and even Mirage Rock will eventually reveal their charms to me. But yeah, you know, just revisiting them this week, it's like, no, these are still like pretty bland, just mm-hmm. you know, sort of retread country rock records to me. Yeah. I would say Band of Horses peaked when I interviewed Ben Bridwell for Grantland about UGA football. He's like <laughs> one of the most prominent uh, Georgia Bulldog football fans out there. Oh, I think man. that was their peak. You know, R.I.P. Grantland. You know, we're gonna have another Grantland reference, I think, in this episode. Cause, uh, oh. oh yeah, because you know, I have some Grantland experience with both of the bands that we're gonna be talking about in the meat of our episode. So, yes. maybe we should let's get right let's to just it. Transition to that. So, the first band that we're gonna be talking about in this episode is My Morning Jacket. They have a new album out today. It's their ninth album. It's a self-titled <laughs> record, and. Mm. It comes just one year after The Waterfall 2, but that was a record that was really in the can for several years before it was released. So mm-hmm. this new album is the first really new music that this band has made in over five years. And I ended up, I, I did an interview with the frontman of My Morning Jacket, Jim James, this week. We talked about the band's entire catalog, including the, the new record. And it was a great interview because he, he was very candid about the fact that, like, this band was basically finished, I think. You know, yeah. they haven't been very active. You know, they didn't produce a whole lot of work in the 2010s. And Jim James has been really invested in making solo records more than my morning jacket records. Uh, but, you know, he told me that, you know, they played these two shows at Red Rocks in Colorado in, in, in 2019. And I happened, I watched the live stream of those shows, and they were like excellent, just transcendent shows. And it really re energized the band. And shortly after that, they went into a studio in Los Angeles and they made this record. And of course, it was delayed because of the pandemic. 
but it finally came out uh, today, uh, so we can all hear it. And uh, it's interesting because I, I mean, I feel like you and I come from a similar position with this band in that we both really love them. I think especially their first four records. And then after that, as Jim James's interest kind of wanes, like maybe our interest wanes a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, but now they're back with this new album. I wrote about this record already a little bit, so I kind of showed how I feel about it. But I'm curious, where are you coming at with My Morning Jacket at this point in 2021? So you're absolutely correct in that uh, first four albums just – incredible like i would say in 2005 they were my favorite band in the world i saw them play a show during the uh it still moves era at the 40 watt in athens it's like 500 degrees in that venue wow that'd be a great room to see them in incredible like just one of my favorite shows of all time and um you know then they of course then z came out which i think is still their best album um I would say that there was like nothing that was impossible for this band. Even, you know, with Evil Urges, I still think that's an interesting record. Um, Even if it has, even if it is like their kind of, their infinite arms, you know, they got like together with Joe Ciccarelli and made this very slick, uh, almost Ween-esque kind of uh, genre hopping record. But yeah, I, I don't know if it's maybe the fact that like I stopped going to, you know, three or four hour marathon shows, or I don't do day drinking like I used to when it still moves and that dawn came out. But I, I, I never really thought about the fact that like maybe Jim James had lost interest in this band. Um, and yeah, because like when you look at like the solo albums and all the band members who were kind of side people to begin with, they're getting involved with, I think one of them played with like Roger Waters and such. Um, and yeah, I mean, I liked The Waterfall when it came out in 2015. I positively reviewed it, and I've barely listened to it since. The Waterfall 2 just came and went. And um, with this one, I, you know, when you self-title an album, that either means you're reinventing yourself or just getting back to basics and reminding people what uh, you loved about them. And, man, like, I, I feel like I might have to, like, mirage rock this album. Um <laughs> Uh, it's been so long since I've like written about an album that um, you know I didn't really like. Um, I think that's kind of a benefit of being in the position I'm in. And it's like I put this album on, and I'm just like, oh god, here we go. Um, th- because I think, like you were saying, this one was delayed by the pandemic. Like this album makes me think of like when you when I put it in light of their rejuvenation after red rocks it reminds me of like what it must have been like to make a new year's resolution on new year's eve 2020 where you're super excited to you know get like it's a round number year new decade and you're ready to go and then all of a sudden you can't do shit and i think that this is kind of how that album's played out because um i know they kind of jammed on this album to construct their songs but the lyrics are like it's it, it just seems like Jim James is like sitting down on his couch watching the news and uh you know kind of kind of kind of like what's up with these clowns in Congress and uh you know these kids on their TikToks and so forth and the look Jim James has never really been a lyric guy 
I'll admit that even my favorite records um, have just like run through. I don't know what he means by run through the ghetto on that one, but it sounds like Almond Brothers and Black Sabbath, so I'm going to deal with it. Yeah, I think that they are inspired, but like there's no actual like I just I just feel like Jim James is just kind of like vamping reading the news on this one, and it's really hard to behold. Yeah, you know, I think I like this album a little bit more than you do. I know when I first got the promo, I wasn't totally connecting with it right away, and it slowly ingratiated itself with me. And I think I am connecting with this record primarily on a musical level. That, Mm. like, as you said, that this is, I think in a weird way, the jammiest album that they've ever made. And, and My Morning Jacket has always existed on that nexus point between like indie rock and, and, and jam rock. I think some people have even described them as a jam band, even though they're not really a jam band, um, although mm-hmm. they do extend songs live on stage. But on this record, there are songs that are eight to nine minutes long. And when I interviewed Jim James, he talked about how in the studio – it was really an open-ended situation where everyone was encouraged to like play for a really long time. And there was this idea that they would take the best parts of all these jams that they were doing in the studio and they would edit them together uh, into songs in a similar way. He, he likened it to what Miles Davis did in the late 60s and early 70s when he made mm. records like Jack Johnson and In a Silent Way you know, during his fusion period where he would just record for hours and then they would piece together from the jams. Uh, you know, these albums that he made. And that was the idea with this album. And I think that's a pretty interesting way of making records. It's interesting you bring up Z from 2005 as being your favorite record. And and that's certainly the most popular studio record that My Morning Jacket has made. And I feel like in a way they've made different versions of that since that record to varying degrees of success. Like songs that are Mm -hmm. basically like concise catchy pop songs that last for about four to five minutes and um they just haven't really produced songs as good as say wordless chorus or uh you know any of the other you know memorable songs from that record off the record ever since z the second song has sort of kind of always sounded a little bit like it beats for you exactly like (laughs) <laughs> even on this one without it really being quite as memorable as that so no. I, I appreciated on this album that they were really trying something different and it was I think an attempt to harness what they do on stage on a record in a way that I don't think they've really done since It Still Moves like It Still Moves like you mentioned Z as being your favorite It Still Moves I think for me is my favorite My Morning Jacket record because to me that album comes closest to approximating what they do on stage on album. And I think this album is attempting to do something similar. It's not as good as it still moves, but I appreciate that aspect of it. I mean, you mentioned like the lyrics. I mean, there are songs in this album where you know, he's talking about like going to the mall and like the mall. Yeah, being... the nine minute song about going. Uh, the first line is like I about him watching the finale of Stranger Things and. He licks some shots at Sephora. Like, this is all... And this is a nine-minute song right in the middle of the album. Yeah, and but look, I mean, I don't think lyrics have ever been their strong suit. I mean, I always think of 
the song Bermuda Highway from oh, yeah. At Dawn, which I love that song, beautiful song. But uh, that that song does include the lyric, your ass, it draws me in like a Bermuda Highway. That's poetry, man. Which, I mean, the thing about that lyric is that because his voice has so much reverb on it, you don't really understand what he's saying. So you don't, that doesn't really sink in. And, you know, maybe it's a mixed blessing that Jim James's uh, vocals are clearer now than they were on the earlier records. You know, you Mm -hmm. really just want the, the evocation of the emotion of the lyrics, not the actual text of the lyrics to be coming through in a lot of my Morning Jacket songs. You know, really with this band, I have to admit that even more than the albums, I appreciate this band still being around because they're always going to be like one of the best, I think, live rock bands that you could see in person. You know, Mm. like it really does seem like there was a time like where maybe this band was never going to play live again. And now, Mm. you know, they're going to be playing some shows. I know here, uh, you know in late October going into November, you know, when I interviewed Jim James, he talked about the Red Rock shows that they played in 2019 being a real sort of re-energizing force for the band. I watched the live stream of those shows and like, they are still a transcendent live rock band. I mean, those shows are great. And I, you know, I have the bootlegs of those shows. I still listen to them. So, Okanokos is one of the best like live albums oh, absolutely. of its time. I mean, that might be my favorite My Morning Jacket record, like to be oh. to be honest. Like even more than the studio records, Okanokos I think is such a great great record. So, you know, even if I'm not totally sold on their on their studio albums, the fact that this band is still together, that they're still going to be touring, that there's a chance that they might show up in your town and play a 3-hour show that's going to blow your brains out the back of your skull. It makes me happy. So, you know, I'm glad. It seems like they're in a good place. Yeah. And I I hope that this band stays together and that we all have a chance to see them in the years and decades to come. Because there's, you know, I think on stage, more than on record, but on stage, they're a very unique and special rock band. And so I, I, I want them to still exist, if only for that. And I also want like one of our intrepid younger listeners who's familiar with like the slowed and reverbed uh, trend that's happening on YouTube to take this album, do the slow and reverb thing. And like, maybe I'll like confuse it with at dawn, but um, <laughs> yeah, like I, I would, I would prefer that, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping Jim James has this, got this out of his system, you know, a reference to a circuital song, um, you know, so I don't have to hear him, uh, you know, complain about uh, our cell phones or Sephora or, you know, how, you know, we all just need to get along. Well, let's move on to the second band we're going to be talking about today, which is Parquet Courts. Mm. And this is a band that you and I do not agree on, I don't think. No, I guess not. Although Great band name. One of the best band names in going. Well, and I feel like you, because you have historically... Uh, <laughs> talk smack about this band certainly on 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 social media and i have written positively about this band uh in the past and it's amazing to me because they have a new record out today it's called sympathy for life this is their seventh studio album which kind of blows me away that we're now at the point of talking about the seventh studio album 
by Parquet Courts, that this is mm. now a certifiable like legacy rock band. Because mm-hmm. in my mind, I still think of them as like an up-and-coming band on some level. <laughs> but they've now amassed like a pretty sizable body of work. Um, and certainly, I think for like younger people, you know, this probably is a band that they think of as having just been around for a really long time. Uh, we were talking about Grantland earlier, and I remember I, I profiled this band for Grantland around the time that Sunbathing Animal came out, which is... 14. Yeah, that was 2014. Prime Grantland. And it was their third studio record, Coming After Light Up Gold, which came out in 2012, and that, which was their, their breakthrough record. Mm-hmm. And I remember like the, the angle of my story... Which, by the way, I, I hung out with Parquet Courts in Brooklyn for this piece. We went to a bowling alley mm. in Brooklyn. And I would, bo- you know, it's, it's like one of those things like where you're profiling a band and it's like, yeah. we got to do something together for <laughs> the premise of this piece, you know, that we could yeah. write about something kind of, you know, quirky. And yeah, we went bowling together and I wrote about it. And I did that for Grantland too at Joyce Manor, but it was at the bowling alley where they actually formed. You know, what was the last great, like, you know, I'm going bowling with an indie rock band profile? Like, is that still a, I feel like that doesn't really exist anymore. I mean, we're, yeah, we're in COVID time, so. COVID has taken so much away from us, most of all the bowling alley profile. I mean, has, like, you know, is anyone like most, going bowling like, with dry cleaning or something? Or, uh, you know, <laughs> bowling with, uh, you know, I don't know, like, boy genius? Is anyone doing that? I, I, I don't remember reading any good bowling. Indie rock I, I went bowling with Boy Genius is like probably best-selling fanfic. If I were to write that story, <laughs> like I, I don't know, I'd be like I, I I would be like a real internet celebrity as opposed to whatever it is that we. If are there's now. any <laughs> publicist listening, I'd be honored to go bowling with Boy Genius. So you know, if you want to like book a bowling alley, and Julian Baker, Phoebe Bridgers, and Lu- Lucy Dacus, let's go bowling. I don't know how good is Phoebe Bridgers. Phoebe Bridgers is probably like a great bowler. You know, she's, she's, huh. she's, she seems good at a lot of things. It, it, I really wish this was a call-in show because we could have like our <laughs> listeners say, "Hey, who do you guys think is the best indie rock bowler?" Let's hear from the let's hear from caller number three. Yeah, like, yeah, that that would be that. That's a good question, actually. I mean, I you know, yeah. obviously, yeah, I, I feel like uh, like Yola Tango or something would probably be good at bowling. The, yeah, I bet they're super good at bowling. You know, like like uh, James McNew is probably like <laughs> average. Two- super chunk is super chunk. They they could probably bowl. Yeah, you know, or like the Mountain Goats. I bet they just bowl the hell out of a game. <laughs> you know, John Darnell. He's probably like a, a two ten average with bowling. <laughs> Um, yeah, but anyway, guided by voices. I mean, like that goes without saying. Well, yeah, I mean, well, Pollard is a is a is a baseball pitcher, which makes me yeah. think he'd probably be good at bowling. Some of the skills are surely transferable. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, I went bowling with Parquet Courts. I don't remember how good they were <laughs> at bowling. They might. I don't remember if they were good or not. Um, but anyway, the premise of my piece was that like they were like the next great New York band, and almost like they were going to be like the Strokes. Of the 2010s. And um, I don't really feel like that happened with Parquet Courts. I think that they're a band, to me, I wouldn't compare them to The Strokes. I would almost compare them to a band like Spoon, in a way. Yeah. Where they're like this band that, 
when I look at their cat, from Austin. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess well, Andrew Savage, anyways, from yeah, uh, Austin. But they're a band that is. I, I look at their catalog; it seems very consistent to me. Mm. I think all their albums are like pretty good to like very good. But I don't know if they've like hit a home run. You know, to me, like when I think about this band, I almost feel like. The first two songs on Light Up Gold, you have Master of My Craft and Borrow Time, like that one-two punch. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like that is such an exhilarating open to an album. I, I feel like that might be the best one-two punch opening an album of like the last decade. I'm just going to throw that out there. I can't think of a better example. I think that is like such an exhilarating open to an album. And I'm like, as much as I like the rest of their catalog, it's kind of feels like they never really matched that it's like oh mm. it's so good there and the rest of the records are really good but it's not quite as exciting as that mm. um i don't know they always seem like a band to me and this includes the new record which i think is is quite good but it's not like a home run it's like three and a half stars out of five you know all their albums to me are about three and a half stars out of five which is nothing there's something to be said for consistency. Yeah, there's nothing know? wrong with that. Like I'm not that's not a criticism, but it's you know, they, they I I feel like there was an expectation that they were going to be a transcendent sort of era defining band. Really? And they well, yeah, I I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking at my own piece. I feel like my own piece <laughs> was like setting this bar for them. Um like they don't have an is this it? You know, if we're going to like them oh, to the no. strokes. They don't or they don't have a room on fire even. You know, but they have a lot of like, uh, you know, uh, albums that are, you know, they. Do they pass the five album test? I don't know. I don't know if they do. I don't, if you're saying great albums, I don't know if there's Hmm. like five great albums in a row. I think there's five very good albums in a row with them. But I'm Hmm. curious to hear what you have to say because you have always sort of clown this band yeah over the years i mean i think i think they're fine i just think that um like you were saying for them to be like a transcendent band they always seem to me to be a band that like um was gonna always hold down the 6 p.m slot at you know indie rock music festivals like or like they just seem like they like transcendent really wasn't in the cards for them i just also I always feel like it was like Parquet Courts fans who like just criticize the shit out of the music that I liked at the time. It's like, no, man, we don't like that emo shit. We Parquet Courts, post-punk. And I think with Parquet Courts, like, I just, there's something about just how there's, they, I think we talked about like the Deftones test in a previous episode where I need to get some sense that this band liked uncool music at some point in their lives. And I don't get that from Parquet Courts. It's always like, oh, yeah, well, you know, this one's kind of got some can going on, maybe some fall, the pave, you know, there's some pavement going on. Um, but they I'll made their say, last though, record, like, Wide Awake. They made that with Danger Mouse. I feel like when you reach yeah. the Danger Mouse era, you're not, yeah. I mean, because in a way, because I understand. I like Total Football. That that was the song that had to- Fuck Tom Brady. I, I can get behind that. Because I feel like your issue with this band was always that they were, like, a little bit too cool for school. And I almost yes. feel like they're old enough now, like where they don't really qualify for that anymore. Like they're not. I agree. They're not the too cool for school band. And even like in this new record, um, 
you know, I like this record. I mean, they've kind of gradually, I don't even know if they would still be post-punk. They've kind of moved in more of like a funky direction. Yeah. They're they're like a Danger Mouse Black keyed them. With like a little bit of like early 80s talking heads, you know, influence, you know, like where Hmm. this is a record that if I was at a barbecue with an indie rock fan between the ages of 37 and 45, I could put this record on and we would like nod our head, our heads together and be like, oh yeah, we're enjoying this music. You know, this is something that we can commune together on and, and not feel totally irrelevant by playing this, you know, but it's like not going to like blow our brains out of the back of our skull, but like, it's going to be enjoyable for us. It's going to be again, like a good three and a half stars out of five record for us. Yeah. And and you know, I feel like I'm criticizing the band by saying that. I, I really don't think so. I think to put out seven records that are like three and a half stars is like an achievement. Like they are an they are a consistent band. And I'll say too, like I've seen this band live a few times. Very good live band. Like if they were in my town, I would go see them. They've got a good catalog now. I, I know I'd have a good time. Um, but yeah, they're just not like the band that i'm gonna be super excited about they're gonna be the band Mm. that like oh yeah they're a good band if they're if they're playing at the barbecue i'm gonna like it if they're playing in my town and i'm hanging out with a with a friend and we're talking while they're on stage we're gonna have a good time but uh yeah they're not gonna be like my favorite band i don't think Mm. ever yeah i mean i can appreciate like when when a band (laughs) when when they're at this phase that they're at right now, like whenever I feel like just so alienated from, you know, wherever the indie rock zeitgeist is going, like I might go back and reassess some of the bands I've like just clowned, even clowned more than I actually dislike their music. For example, like Mac DeMarco and Ice Age, who I don't, you know, totally dislike. I just, you know, I just find like them, really them. Uh, yeah. Parquet, the new album's good. It's enjoy. I, I like the fact that, Rodeye McDonald produced this album, like the guy from the XX's first two LPs and how to dress well. That that's kind of an interesting move. And look, you know, I will never go out. I will never actively, you know, pursue a parquet court show. Uh, or, but you know, if I hear a song on like, you know, on Spotify on a weekly playlist, I'll probably listen to it. Um, yeah, look, Festivals need this kind of band that will occupy the 35 to 50 demographic at 3 p.m. spot. Dinosaur Jr. has been in that spot for like 35 years, man. Holding it down, by the way. Love Dinosaur Jr. God love him. But yeah, you can't just have Dinosaur Jr. holding down that spot. You got to give yeah. Jay Maskus a break, you know? Maybe let yes. him play at 5 o'clock. Now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? So, I, I always love when I discover a band that's from a part of the country or like a part of the continent that I'm like completely unfamiliar with. Because if there's like a band from like North Dakota or like South Dakota, I can ask myself like, I know this band's got like one album on Bandcamp, but are they the best band from South Dakota ever? Um, and I bring this up because my selection this week is from a, you can tell from the band name, which is Swimming. They got the Garen Tents, 
They're an emo band. And one from Newfoundland. Uh, who's, and their new album is called That's Okay. Uh, it came out, I believe, a week ago. It's got that classic fourth wave um, twinkly tapping sound with the off-key vocals that are still somehow very tuneful. Um, and I just got to ask, like, is this the greatest band from Newfoundland ever? Like, Steve, like, do you, do you, have you ever heard of a band from Newfoundland, Canada? Man, I feel like I'm blanking on it right now. And then we're going to get a bunch of emails saying, what about this band? What about that band? No, bring them on. But for now, you know, I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm just going to plead the fifth, I think, on this for now. Because I can't, (laughs) I don't know if there are, but I mean, this is probably a great band. This might be the best. So I do appreciate this one at a time when, you know, one of the one of the elements of fifth wave emo is to talk shit about fourth wave bands like, you know, Fox Anger, The World is a Beautiful Place. Like this one takes that 2011, 2012 sort of sound. Um, it updates it with a couple of new fifth wavey post-internet elements. Um, but it's still like, it's almost like whatever the version of, like the emo version of the parquet courts barbecue type thing where it's like you throw it on, you have a couple of fourth wave emo people to be like, yep, that's some good rock and roll right there. That's what swimming does on their new album. So for my selection, I'm going to cheat here and I'm, I'm actually going to uh, talk about two records uh, because one of them I've already talked about in this uh, segment of our, of our show. It's uh, Trace Mountains, they have a new album called House of Confusion, which comes out today. I've talked about this band in a previous episode, uh, but this is a record that I've been playing a ton in the past few weeks. Just a beautiful Americana, Heartland Rock type record. Um, you know, if you're you know, into, say, like The War on Drugs meets mm. uh, Phosphorescent, I think you would really be into this album. Um, just beautiful pedal, pedal steel guitar all over the record. Lots of great songwriting. Um, so definitely check that out. Uh, I also want to talk about an album that I haven't really talked about at all in this uh, show yet, and that is Dilettante. It's by a mm-hmm. guy named Mo Trooper. He's a singer-songwriter from Portland. And look, I looked at the track list for this. It was 28 songs in about 50 minutes. I was already sold on the album when I saw that because yeah. my favorite album of all time is Alien Lanes. That also has 28 songs. It's a little bit shorter than this album, but it's the same idea. It's a lot of lo-fi power pop songs, a lot of fuzzy guitar, a lot of just beautiful choruses. And it's just one song after another. They get in, they give you a great hook, they give you a beautiful vocal, and then they get out, and then there's another great hook, another great vocal, and it's just one after another. And and Mo really just, he delivers the goods. He's putting in the work. And it's just like a really enjoyable record. If you love Guided by Voices, if you love Teenage Fan Club, if you love The Raspberries, Badfinger, all that sort of stuff, you're going to love this record. It's a great fall album. Uh, so definitely check it out. It, it delivers over and over again. So again, Trace Mountains, check that out. And then Mo Troper, Dilettante. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. It could be Mo Trooper. Yeah. I think it's Mo Troper. It's Mo By Trooper? the way, great merch, great Twitter account. Yes. All, all around all around Mensch. He has a great head of hair. Yes. Like a big, you know, kind of afro going on for Mo. I we can call it. it a Jufro. Call it a like, Jufro. That's, that, 
He's got Herschel Krastovsky, young Herschel Krastovsky on his merch. Yeah, we. I think we look. I, I. I can. I can say it. It's not cultural appropriation for Ian Cohen to mention a Jufro. Yes, it's it's great. <laughs> We've now reached the end of our episode here on IndieCast. Thank you again for listening. We will be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.